So the way that the structure of appreciative inquiry works is that we front load the positive. And in front loading the positive, we essentially stimulate the creative aspect of our brains. And it allows us to get into the creative and more imaginative aspects of our thinking processes. And for me, I, I believe in, I'm probably not the only one, but problems, if you will, or all challenges require a sense of creativity when it comes to solving them and finding those potential solutions. So problem solving for me is a very creative process. So having, you know, front loading the positive helps us to get to that creative space much quicker. Hello. My name is Cecilia from the Enwada team, and you are listening to the Enwada podcast. We conduct due diligence and monitoring of working conditions using worker engagement technologies. And on the second season of this short podcast, we hope to continue bringing you the most relevant insights concerning responsible sourcing and some of the leading voices in ethical supply chains. Thank you for joining us today. So, hello everyone. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode of the Enwider podcast. So this is a particularly special one for me because I'm sitting with or virtually sitting with my colleagues, Lee Esterhazen and Emily Vining. So many of you may know Lee. She is our CEO and the founder of Enwider. And Lee is, of course, a data scientist and research methodologist who has been designing systems to gather sensitive data for more than two decades. And now we all get to be part of the mission of Enwider, which is essentially to encourage listening and continuous improvement in the lives of those who often remain unheard. So Lee, want to say hello to our listeners? Hi, and good morning and afternoon. Hey. And she is joined by Emily Vining, who heads up our client services from our Cape Town office. Emily is our client's account lead and supports our existing clients to get the most of the insights we generate for them using our worker engagement solution. So previously, she led our implementation and impact and has extensive experience in stakeholder engagement and really applying our listening approach to partnership building. So Em, say hello to our listeners. Hi, everyone. So nice to be here. Thank you so much to the both of you for being here today. Um, I want us to have a conversation that is perhaps quite second nature to us, but I know that through feedback from our team, our clients often comment about, and that is our particular approach in using appreciative inquiry in driving continuous improvement in global supply chains. So Lee, I'll start with you. What exactly is appreciative inquiry? Appreciative inquiry is actually a tool that comes from organizational psychology. The concept is, you know, usually... When we're um, thinking about understanding a particular workplace or a particular supply chain, we start with you know trying to identify what's going wrong, trying to identify the brokenness first. And that's in organizational psychology speak is diagnostic, it's diagnostic inquiry. So it's spotting you know where the problems lie first. Appreciative inquiry turns that on its head and says, you know, start with what's working and what's, you know, intact in the supply chain or what's working well for workers in their workplace. Start there. And then on the back of that, build on, build on the positive. And essentially what that, what that helps with doing is detaching the brain and, and, and your analysis from, from the broken aspects and rather building very pragmatically on what works and, and, and addressing any gaps by, by building towards you know, a better system and actually essentially an ideal system. So appreciative inquiry has four stages. Stage one is what, you know, let's, let's assume that we're looking at um, applying appreciative inquiry to 
a change in a workplace. Um, and the kind of management team is sitting around a table and, and you run them through four questions. The first question is, in the setting, while we're changing from, you know, scenario A to scenario B, as we undergoing that change, what's working well so far? You know, the, the changes we've made thus far, you know, how it's been organized, etc. The second, the second step is, what's the ideal? What if we could make this transition in our workplace absolutely sane? What would that look like? And that second stage is the design phase where everyone helps to design this ideal. Third stage is how do we get practically from here to there? You know, what are, what are the steps we need to take in order to achieve that ideal destination? And fourthly, you know, if we have to start tomorrow, where do we start? What are the priority changes or priority steps we need to take in order to pursue that ideal? And that's that's my definition of appreciative inquiry. It's always slightly long, but that's 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 it. No, that's perfect. Um, and thank you also for that like very practical um, example of how it actually works in the workplace. Um, moving away from diagnostic inquiry and really starting with what works. Um, and so given that example then, M, for you, um, you've been capacitating our stakeholders to really understand and act on our results for a while now. Um, why do you think appreciative inquiry is relevant in improving working conditions? Such a good question. So as Lee touched on in her explanation of appreciative inquiry, it gets you into the creative space. So the way that the structure of appreciative inquiry works is that we front load the positive. And in front loading the positive, we essentially stimulate um, the creative aspect of our brains. And it allows us to get into the creative and more imaginative aspects of our thinking processes. And for me, I, I believe, and I'm probably not the only one, but all um, problems, if you will, or all challenges require a sense of creativity when it comes to solving them and finding those potential solutions. So problem solving for me is a very creative process. So having, you know, front loading the positive helps us to get to that creative space much quicker. And I suppose um, at and wider, what we hold very dear is that we're very aware of the investment that suppliers make in the direct worker reporting process. If suppliers are looking at any results, it's because their teams have gone out, explained the process to workers, explained the process to managers, and encouraged workers to participate. And that needs to be recognized. That in itself is a huge feat. And in those results calls or in explaining or taking people through those results, by front-loading that and front-loading um, our appreciation of that investment and also front-loading what already works well. And I think that's what I, um, I'm probably biased, but that's what I appreciate about our results is that it gives you um, a holistic picture. Yes, we're identifying what workers are flagging um, as areas that need improvement, but we're also flagging um, what areas are already working well, according to workers. And that's, I think, quite different. It's quite a different take to what suppliers are usually confronted with. Um, so having that, you know, having that holistic picture is firstly very supportive. And secondly, the way we explain um, results in front-loading, what is working well, acknowledging and appreciating the investment already made by suppliers, I think puts suppliers in a position where they can already begin to embark on this creative process to try and find solutions to sometimes complicated problems or sometimes not so complicated problems because the environment is safe. It's safe to try. It's safe to be creative. I love how you mentioned. 
actually, I, I, I wanted to dig into um, how you Lee, think specifically as a business, we actually kind of infuse out of the work that we do. So go ahead. So two things that came up for me as M was speaking, the one is when a supplier consults their dashboard to check what workers have reported, as M was saying, they see a full picture in their detailed results. They see the high greens and they also see the, the kind of higher reds. In other words, the things that are going well versus those, those, those areas where improvements needed. And, and there, you know, the next step is to say, well, as a supplier or business owner, what can I do about the stuff that needs my attention or needs to improve? You know, th- those are problem areas. What can I do to address them? Um, and, and there we use appreciative inquiry as well. We say, you know, start with looking at what you've got that works. Start with building on what, on the foundation you've already got. Look at the tools that you already use. So, for example, if a supplier is facing discrimination in their in their dashboards, where if, if workers have cited that that they, you know, discrimination is a problem in the workplace, <clears throat> we always say, well, you know, start with the the policies and practices that previously have resolved, you know, particular issues around discrimination and then you know then aim to better those i you know make an ideal scenario out of what 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 you've already got let's turn up the volume and imagine what a really comprehensive response to discrimination would look like what would that look like you know get your workers to input get management to input and then on the back of that you know practically you know plan how you get from here to there so that's also where we've used appreciative inquiry um but of course on the buyer side you know a lot of our rollouts um involve us engaging with workers on particular supplier sites sometimes those suppliers themselves are clients but a lot of the time we have a retailer or a brand in the background who's initiated the whole engagement and they they use our dashboards and system differently. And again, you know, it's very tempting for, for retailers and brands to look at our dashboards, look at a kind of map of all the, all the sites we're covering for them and react purely in a risk-based manner. So to look at the dashboards, you know, feel alarmed by some of the results and essentially go into crisis management mode. And appreciative inquiry does the opposite. Appreciative inquiry says, hang on, Let's first celebrate those suppliers who have engaged with their workers, who are listening to their workers using the system, and who've, as Emily put, put it, who've generated you know, valid results and who've invested the effort to do so. Let's congratulate them first. That's step number one. That's appreciative, deeply appreciative. And then, you know, then watch the dashboards of two consecutive call cycles to see what issues might might be arising that require your attention, but also address those in an appreciative way. Again, front load what you can do together that'll work well in this situation, rather than you know gunning for a kind of more policing tone in the conversation when you do contact that supplier to say, you know, very disappointed. Rather engage in the conversation by saying, you know, appreciate that you're listening to your workers, appreciate that we now have some clarity on those dashboards. You know, how what what can we do to work together to to address this? So so, so uh, that appreciative inquiry comes in on the supplier level when we engage with suppliers as well as when we engage with buyers and retailers. Would you like to discuss this with us? 
Be sure to reach out to us on our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or visit us on www.nwida.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I love how you've kind of yeah mentioned risk and kind of compared it with um, appreciation or kind of looking for opportunities to improve. And I think we've spoken about that a lot in this podcast, how essentially risk language really does little to build the capacity to deal with the risk. Um, there's no really call to action or, or, or guide on how to act. It essentially is just about this is what it is. Um, but essentially, if, if you appreciate, then you can build on that and say, okay, fine, how then do we move forward with this, um, given what we're seeing? So um, I love that. And Cece, the other kind of magic um, in appreciative inquiry is is that 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 need to motivate everyone to get behind the change. So you know nobody addresses it very um, candidly in our in our sector, but you know you need you need political will. You need everyone to want to make these improvements. You know how do you how do you generate you know intention or will? You generate an intentional will by by using appreciation, by appreciating what efforts have already been invested and building on what works. Hence, hence the role for appreciative inquiry. It's motivating essentially. So hopefully at this point, uh, using the language of motivation, using the language of creative problem solving, um, we've kind of you know got everyone kind of geared up to say, hey, actually, how can we how can we implement this in other areas? Um, either Lee or M, do you want to take this one um, about what other areas do you think AI or appreciative inquiry can be used effectively? I I think there's a real opportunity when it comes to um, the bigger the bigger picture. So we generate site-level data, but we also essentially collate that data to provide bigger picture insights in the form of benchmarks and analytics for our clients and partners. And that um, there lies, again, an opportunity to either, I mean, we, there's a crossroads here. We could either focus all our you know, trend reports and analytics on you know, where the problems lie so that everyone you know, everyone's attention is, is guided to only focusing on those problems. But the reality is that, um, you know, there's been some distance traveled in responsible sourcing. We've come, we've come some way when it comes to addressing gender-based violence and, you know, some gross human rights violations that were commonly found across the board. Um, and to, to do justice to all those efforts and work, you know, a system like ours should really track change over time. And when we track change over time, when we when we when we discuss the distance traveled, not just on the individual site level, but across the board in terms of all our data in particular in a particular sector or geography, to talk about the improvements that have been made, to appreciate, you know, what's what's worked well in terms of the efforts invested and the distance that's already been traveled and and, and the progress that's already uh, you know evident in the data. And then from there, say, you know, ideally, we would also want in this picture to have covered, you know, to also have a, a strong picture in terms of X, Y, and Z. And inevitably, X, Y, and Z will be the priority areas that workers have said are not there yet. Um, and so appreciative inquiry in a very clever way covers the, the positive stuff, the distance traveled, progress made, um, as well as the negative stuff in, in the, the second ideal step. And, and that's, you know, that's where else I think there's an opportunity is when, you, when you're looking at painting the picture of how a sector is changing over time and where the needs and, and opportunities lie to, to, to front load what progress has been made and what, what progress is, is evident directly in the data um, generated from workers themselves. And also, that's such a great big vision point, Lee. 
zooming out, but in a way it triggered for me the, the, the one to zoom in and look at, you know, the site of change or the agent of change, which is really the supplier and what they do with that data set. I think there's such a fantastic opportunity to use appreciative inquiry because it's so simple. So it can be taught to anyone and it's got such a solid architecture that, you know, you just ask those four questions um, to a group of people. Workers can be included in that group. Management, you know, you can get a diverse group of people together in your supplier site and you run those four questions. And at the end of it, you have a a little to-do list, a to-do list that everyone has contributed to creating. So everyone's bought into it. Everyone's created the vision and it's so actionable. And, you know, at and why do we generate data that is quite actionable? And so it's so in line with that. It's like, how do you take the next step with this, this intel that you've crowdsourced from your workers at regular intervals um, to then generate a very nuanced and specific site intervention that, you know, everyone working on site will know best because that's where everyone works. So it turns, and I think, Lee, you said this to me years ago, but appreciative inquiry essentially honors everybody as an expert. You know, it honors um, the knowledge that everybody has innately in them, in their lived experience. So it really, um, it's so powerful because you can really dig deep and harness that input from everybody and harness that buy-in and it gives you a to-do list. So it's like literally the opposite of a talk shop. Often people will have like workshops, but at the end, everyone's just spoken around the issue maybe for a couple of hours. Appreciative inquiry like spits out a to-do list that everyone's contributed to. So um, yeah, that's more on the zoomed in um, application of it at a site level. But ends that that point you've made beautifully about, about the fact that the method, you know, spits out a distilled action plan. Exactly. We we talk about action plans so much in the sector. You know, it's it, it's usually associated with audits, but frankly, you know, planning and, and acting is is part of running any business, and and that's where appreciative inquiry fits in. It's in our business, you know, there needs to be planning and action when it comes to setting up, getting everything set up in order to start surveying workers. And then you also need to plan and action on the back of the results from workers. So those are the two two times in which we have to handle planning and acting. And, and there, you know, in both settings, we tend to use appreciative inquiry. But what I was going to say to Em's point is um, it's about collaborative action. You know, when, uh, and, 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 and we've used it even as a family, frankly, um, when you need to, to do something and there's not a kind of clear manual to do it, um, but you having to deal with that particular situation yourself and, and it's context specific, where do you start? And that's essentially appreciative inquiry gets you from that start all the way to, you know, your route map, um, which is very clear and which against which you can then measure your progress, which is brilliant. Yeah, um, I loved what you mentioned, Em, that, you know, it really makes everyone kind of like the expert. Um, and I suppose it's also worth mentioning here that, you know, from the outset of um, building our, our system, um, we kind of co-designed co this with workers themselves by, you know, using AI sessions to actually hear what workers also would think about kind of direct work reporting. And um, so I really love the participatory approach that AI really presents to us. Lee, did you want to say something then? So, so what I meant to say, sorry, and I lost my thread, is on the site level, you can kind of get that, you know, collaborative planning and acting going. But on the macro level, in terms of a particular sector, let's take construction, for example. 
you know, everyone's nervous about forced labor and trafficking and, and you know, various forms of hidden exploitation. What if we could have uh, big construction firms using our monitoring system? You know, we, we've got some experience in the UK with three, three clients using our system. But what if players like that were to then pool their data and share the challenges and, 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 and the kind of progress such that all of them then, you know, appreciatively start with, you know, hey, what's where, where, where do the strengths lie? You know, what capability have we got? What's the ideal? You know, what, what if we could really um, revolutionize the space in the construction sector such that forced labor and trafficking and the likes, hidden, hidden exploitation were no longer a problem? So I, I think it really helps to galvanize action on the micro as well as the macro level. Thanks for that, Lee. So, um, this one is for you. Um, you mentioned earlier the kind of like looking for improvement approach um, and how that approach is really less focused on risk, um, as we mentioned before, and how it's more focused on the opportunities to build impact. So, I want to ask you, how is appreciation useful when it comes to driving material change? Great. So, such a good question. So, there's quite a lot there to unpack. So, I guess the first, the first thing is a bit of unlearning. And whenever we faced with, as people, whenever we faced with what's not working so well, it automatically we get a bit nervous or we get a bit defensive or we get a bit scared. I mean, we all have experienced, you know, feedback, you know, the red mark of a teacher's um, marking on our paper, for example. So we, we, we all used to receiving feedback and not feeling good enough or doing, doing enough. And I think that that's the first thing is that with our results, if you are seeing reds in the results that in fact this presents the opportunity for improvement you know if we go to all the effort to gather insights directly from workers and you sit back and you look at a series of dashboards that are consistently very green in a sense you don't have the opportunity to pull out areas that you could improve. So I think that's that's the first thing about the difference between being risk orientated versus you know seeing the opportunities. Of course, to be able to see the opportunities, you need an ecosystem of support around you. So if you're a supplier, you need to have a, a buyer in the picture who understands that you know improvement is continuous and um, solution seeking and finding is often an iterative process so that there isn't a lot of time pressure to you know fix the problem and fix it now so that also um, falls into the equation but as Lee was saying you know the buyers in the picture also take that appreciative approach. So that takes the, the pressure off. So all of those are elements to driving material change. But once again, being in the appreciation space and identifying what is working well and using that as a basis to, you know, to find your solutions um, puts you into the creative space. And problem solving, as I said in the beginning, is a creative process. So I, I hope I've answered your question. Lee, do you want to add to that? Brilliant. So essentially, you know, when it comes to driving material change, we all know that the supplier remains the driver of change in the worker's life. Um, and the supplier is used to um, being assessed and policed, essentially. Um, used to being audited once a year um, and given a list of corrective actions they need to take. And this 
you know, our system is deliberately very different from that. A, it's monitoring, so there's a continuous ticking over of, of data collection and sharing of results. B, it's not a focus on, on the negative, as mentioned, it's a focus on the full picture. But C, we always we always focus first on onboarding and unlocking the kind of buy-in of the supplier themselves by being very candid about the benefits of the system, et cetera but also to motivate them to do something with results. Um, so, so essentially appreciative inquiry unlocks that motivation because it's all about starting with what works and not starting with a policing approach. It's about unlocking their willingness to take the results seriously. Then they're more likely to actually, you know, look at the results and want to do something. And then how do they go about deciding what they do? They can use appreciative inquiry itself to, to, to help design the next steps. So, so I think it's it's about that kind of unlocking, you know, the willingness, unlocking motivation. That that's a crucial first step when it comes to you know getting someone to to genuinely drive a program of change in a workplace. Mm. Thank you so much for that. Um, and Emma, I also love how yeah you mentioned the kind of ecosystem of support as well. And the way I, I see it, it's almost like a cycle. Um, like you adopt an appreciative approach that creates uh, conditions for partnership between buyers and suppliers to collaborate on any issues found. And wider conducts due diligence and monitoring of working conditions using worker engagement technologies. We have new products and functionalities for simple and effective worker engagement, including multiple technology channels to survey workers, diverse standard surveys to measure better practices, and offer more detailed insights on particular issues facing workers. Soon, we will also be releasing our worker engagement benchmarks to better identify the biggest challenges regarding working conditions in various sourcing regions and sectors around the world. If you'd like to know how we use simple, smart mobile tech and support to gather anonymous insight from workers, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at nwire.com. And my final one uh, for the day, Lee, um, given the increasing emphasis on due diligence and due diligence laws, would an appreciative approach to improving working conditions still be useful? So it's, you know, this new generation of laws we're seeing in, in, in France, in Germany, and, and, and now the upcoming EU mandatory due diligence across the EU, um, it would be tempting to just fall back into the mode of a tick box exercise where we treat our supply chains um, and looking after working conditions along those supply chains as an obligatory exercise of ticking, ticking a series of boxes. Um, and, and then due diligence becomes um, merely a process of ensuring that, that a bunch of checklists is completed for, for every node in a supply chain. That would be unfortunate. <laughs> if we were to go down that road, because essentially due diligence becomes, with that approach, due diligence becomes a huge burden for the buyer or retailer because everyone else is reluctant to do it because what is the value of that exercise for their businesses? Whereas, you know, if we can, if we can do due diligence differently, if we can, um, from the outset, say, you know, it's everyone's um, responsibility to participate in due diligence and how are we going to, how are we going to, you know, motivate this collaboration, get it right, is from the outset, you know, to ensure that due diligence doesn't just focus on the negative. You know, why should due diligence only focus on problems? 
due diligence should be focusing on, you know, the, the situation, the status. That's the entire situation and or status of a workplace, including positives and negatives. So if we can get that right this time, if we can trash the notion that due diligence is about only finding risks and problems and introduce the notion that due diligence is about, you know, a proper, a proper exercise of oversight along the supply chain of working conditions in their entirety. And if in that due diligence process, we get it right to ensure that we also front load the positive on the basis of rigorous data and then deal with the challenges or the negatives, then you know we'll be in a whole different landscape when it comes to getting everyone participating and sustaining you know good due diligence practices. We'll have better data. You know, suppliers will be motivated because it's not just all about what's going wrong, and buyers will be less burdened. Thank you so so much for that answer, Lee. And I just love your constant um, kind of like appreciation of the motivation and how kind of appreciative inquiry really motivates buyers and suppliers to collaborate and actually not only just spot the issues, focusing on the risk, but actually kind of be motivated to build on build on the impact. Thank you so so much for your time and your answers on the path of appreciative inquiry. Um, and yeah, I may of course be biased, uh, as I mentioned before, but I really do think it is a breath of fresh air, kind of like given the traditional due diligence or supply chain monitoring system. So, Lee and M, thank you very much. Pleasure, pleasure. Hoping that there are some listeners out there who might give appreciative inquiry a stab on those four questions. You'd be surprised about the contexts in which it can be it can be effective. Yeah, I think you guys both did a good job at being great evangelists of appreciative inquiry today. <laughs> That's it from us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to follow us on our social media platforms to keep up to date with all things and wider and look out for our next installment. Goodbye.